Well, I want to begin uh, this message with a confession. Uh, today's message uh, was actually birthed in my teenage years of rebellion at In-N-Out Burger. Anyone ever been to In-N-Out Burger? Yeah, a couple of you? Yes? They're moving to Tennessee. There is hope for the South. <laughs> In-N-Out Burger uh, puts Bible verses on the bottom of their Coke cups. Um, this is a picture of a cup, John 3:16. And when we were kids growing up in Southern California, In-N-Out Burger was a place that we'd go all the time for lunch. And uh, all the time when we got together, the first thing that we did was see what Bible verse was on the bottom of our cups. Um, John 3:16 was usually there, sometimes Proverbs 3, 5. Eventually, uh, they started adding Bible verses to like the thing that your fries come in. I don't know what that's called, like your, the tray that your fries come in. They would put some Bible verses on the bottom of that. And then, then they put like on the wrapper where you got your burgers, they would put a little, some, they'd put a little Bible verse there. And uh, my dad loved it. It was always an opportunity for my dad to give us a sermon that we didn't want to hear while we were eating, you know, our double-double burgers. If it was John 3.16, he'd go on to talk about, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. If it was Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Craig, you got to trust in the Lord. You got to trust. Um, but one day we were eating together and uh, we just sat down and we're grabbing our stuff together. We're grabbing our food and all of a sudden my dad looked at the wrapper that his burger was in and tears welled up in his eyes as he looked at the Bible verse. And it was right in the middle of uh, this brutal separation and divorce that my parents were going through. And when my, when my brother and I saw my dad's eyes well up, we both knew that we were not saying a word. This was just one of those times where it was better to be quiet. But uh, at the end of the meal, I wanted to know what was that verse on. And so I volunteered to clean the table and uh, my dad and brother headed to the car and I picked up all the papers and wrappers and um, I saw on the little wrapper, Nahum 1.7. Nahum 1-7. At the time, I didn't even know there was a book in the Bible called Nahum. I had to go home. When we finally got home, I had to look up in the Bible in the table of contents to find like, it, where is this book and what is it all about? And it's on page 901. And Nahum 1-7 says this. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And when I read that verse, not only did I understand a little bit of why that verse would have spoken to my dad, but that verse spoke to me. The Lord is good. He's a refuge in times of trouble. And he cares for those who trust in him. That's what I want to talk about this morning. We're in this study uh, called Come Back to Me. Our good, good father invites us to come back to him. And this morning... I want to talk a little bit about that truth. It is in Nahum. We're going to look at that book. So if you have your Bibles, in my Bible, page 901, Nahum 1, verse 1. It says this, A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. We'll just stop there real quick. So the very beginning of this whole thing is going to be really, really good news for the people of Israel. 
And it's good news because, like, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that there's been all of these prophecies about judgment and God's expressing his anger toward the people of Israel. But this is going to be really, really good news for Israel because this prophecy is not about Israel. This prophecy is actually going to be about one of the country's uh, groups of people that have been oppressing Israel. So when it says that the vision is uh, for Nineveh, these guys are like, well, that's really, really good news. Judgment's not going to fall on us. It's actually going to fall on them. The prophecy that we're going to talk about today really is about this prophecy, excuse me, really is about this a place named Nineveh, the, the Assyri- it was the headquarters for the Assyrians. And this whole book is solely devoted to the destruction of the city of Nineveh. For the Israelites, they'd be like, this is amazing. God is going to judge all of our oppressors. Now, I don't know if uh, you guys ever get this way, um, but every once in a while, some, some, someone around here will say, amen. Like someone will say, oh yeah, Amen. Man, if the Israelites are hearing this, they're going, amen, amen, go for it, preacher, go for it, preacher, preach against those that are oppressing us. So Nineveh, anyone here familiar with Nineveh? I can teach you a little song if you want a little little chorus to help. Nineveh uh, comes along with the story of Jonah, right? You guys might remember that story. Uh, Nineveh um, was the place where Jonah was called to um, speak really a message of repentance. The book of Nahum is the sequel to the book of Jonah. In the Septuagint, uh, Jonah and Nahum are uh, placed side by side. Jonah preached to the city of Nineveh with what we would call great success, the kind of success that he didn't really want to have. If you remember, Jonah actually complains to the Lord because the Ninevehs repent. You might remember the story a little bit. In fact, he's so distraught and angry that the city repented that he gets angry at God because God is so gracious to forgive. And Jonah's just so mad that God's so gracious. But since this, uh, probably one of the world's most unprecedented revivals in all of history, which happened under the preaching of Jonah, since that time, the city has just reverted back. They've gone back to all of their old ways. They've gone back to their old practices. And now Nineveh is worse than it was previously. So here's the next couple of verses. Sort of an introduction. Speaks a little bit to Israel and then a little bit about God. The Lord is a zealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt away. And the earth trembles at his presence and the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are shattered before him. One of the central themes of this little book is that God grieves over death. But his goodness and his justice compel him to orchestrate the downfall of oppressive and destructive nations. And that's what 
Nahum is beginning to unfold here. That prophecy are for what will come. For you and me, as we think a little bit about this prophecy, it is just another opportunity for us to humble ourselves before God and trust that he will confront every oppressor. And all of that sits on this foundation. Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble, and he cares for those who trust in him. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear that. That's who he is. The Lord is good. He is a refuge in times of trouble, and he cares for those who trust in him. Nahum, the author of this book, his name means consolation or comforter. And he's going to remind those who are in trouble. He's going to remind those who are hurting that our God is good. Nahum, kind of like if you were here last week, we talked a little bit about Micah. Nahum is also a poet prophet. Uh, The imagery in these, the word pictures in these three chapters are amazing. He is a brilliant writer. Uh, You'll see it throughout the book. Here's the next couple of verses, verse 12 and 13. He's, God's going to speak through Nahum to Israel. This is what the Lord says. Although they have allies and are numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. The Israelites have experienced so much oppression. They've been taken as exiles and they have become slaves. And God is saying, I will break their yoke from your neck and I will tear your shackles away. So beautiful, this picture of hope. And then verse 14 are these prophetic words of judgment uh, towards Nineveh. The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods, and I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. Wow, really strong. And then the next verse, kind of the other way. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. So celebrate your festivals, Judah. And fulfill your vows, for no more will wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. So while all of this is going on, the prophet says, hey, there's good news coming. There's good news. The feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. It sounds an awful lot like, verse 15 sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 52, 7. Listen to what it says. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim the salvation, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah is writing this in light of Babylon falling. Nahum is writing what he wrote as things in Nineveh, as Assyria is falling. This is kind of cool. If you have your Bibles... Flip over to Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. Just real quick, Romans 10, verses 12 through 15. They're gonna, uh, Paul is going to reference a couple of these prophets in his letter to the church at Rome. Romans 10, verses 12 through 15. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see that one's in quotations? Paul is quoting the Bible. Paul is quoting the prophet Joel. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Joel chapter 2. Paul's quoting, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then verse 14, how can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written, in quotations, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's quoting Isaiah 52 and and he's quoting Nahum chapter 1, verse 15. And who is all this talking about? This is talking about Jesus, right? This is talking about the Messiah, the one who brings good news. But this is also about you and me. This idea is about you and me bringing good news. It's about you and me bringing good news into a lost and dying world. And just for the record, it's good news. A lot of times that I don't know, maybe it's just that I'm attentive to it. A lot of times when I hear things being talked about, I hear a lot of bad news. One bit of bad news after another bit of bad news. It's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. The prophecy of the coming of the Messiah would be that the spirit of the Lord would anoint Jesus to preach good news. Jesus is going to preach good news. The good news is that this is my father's world and he has full charge of this world and he is at work right now putting all things right in and through Jesus in and through his crucifixion his death and his resurrection the good news is that you and I right now can live abundantly and eternally and that one day all things all creation will be renewed and set free from the stain of sin and death And it's good news. It's really, really good news. Repentance is a part of that message. The message of repentance is not so much about shame as it is about freedom. Repentance gives us another chance, and that's really good news. Another chance at life, another chance at love, another chance at hope, another chance at beauty, another chance at grace. And that's really, really good news. And it's available for all people here and now. Well, chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 7. In chapter 1, we hear about the destruction of Nineveh. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. Chapter 2 is going to describe how it's going to happen. Chapter 3 is going to talk a little bit about that Nineveh deserved for this destruction to happen. It's kind of a flow or an outline of the book. But here's a portion of how Nineveh's destruction is described. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh, Guard the fortress, watch the road, brace yourself, marshal all your strength. The Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel. Though destroyers have laid them waste and have ruined their vines. The shields of the soldiers are red, the warriors are clad in scarlet. The metal on the chariot flashes on the day they are made ready. The spears of juniper are brandished. And the chariots storm through the streets, rushing back and forth through the squares. They look like flaming torches. They dart about like lightning. Nineveh summons her picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall, but the protective shield is put in place and the river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. 
it is decreed that Nineveh be exiled and carried away. Why? Why does God's judgment fall on Assyria? Chapter 3 is going to give us three reasons. Brutality, idolatry, and prideful superiority. That's what God's coming against. He's coming against brutality, idolatry, and prideful superiority. Here's chapter 3, a couple verses at the beginning. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. The crack of the whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords and glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over the corpses, all because of the wanton lust of a prostitute alluring the mistress of sorceries who enslaved nations by her prostitution and peoples by her witchcraft. Wow. Anytime in the Bible that you see the phrase, woe to you, you know you are in deep trouble. As Jesus used that phrase, we read it a couple of weeks ago, he used that phrase, and when he used that phrase, boy, he used it poignantly, sharply. Anytime, if you hear that phrase, you know there's trouble. If you remember the story of Jonah, if you remember the story, God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, uh, Jonah didn't want to do it, that whole thing. But I want you to hear why God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. You don't have to turn there, but this is just Jonah. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because his wickedness has come up before me. God is calling for repentance in this city because their wickedness has come before him. He saw their brutality. And he made a way for them to live in freedom and grace. But ultimately they turned their backs and they went back to their own ways. And now things are worse than they were before. Verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. I'm against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will pelt you with I will treat you with contempt and I will make you a spectacle and all who see you will flee from you and say Nineveh is in ruins. Who will mourn for her? Where can I find anyone to comfort you? This is God speaking. Where can I find anyone to comfort you? Contrast that with Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. And he cares for those who trust in him. In the songbook of the people of Israel, they would sing the Psalms. They would sing these words, Psalm 56, 1 through 6. I thought instead of singing it, maybe we would just read it out loud, all of us together. Psalm 46, 1 through 6. You guys with me? Let's just read this all together. Here we go. Let's go. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. And God is within her, 
and she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall, but he lifts his voice and the earth melts. He's proclaiming what Nahum is proclaiming, that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, how about we sing this verse, this second verse, or, or maybe we could just read it together out loud. Let's read this together out loud. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It's beautiful. And I could talk all day long about how Jesus cares for the hurting and the troubled and the broken. But maybe let's sing this last verse. Uh, Jesus says these words in John chapter 15, verse 13, or we'll just read this last verse. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay, uh, participation time is gonna continue. We just read these three really beautiful passages, these really beautiful verses of a big song. How many of you guys believe that what we just read is true? Raise your hand if you believe what we just read is true. It's awesome, it's awesome. Yes, I think most of us believe, maybe even all of us believe what we read is true. You don't have to raise your hand this time. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand this time. But how many of you believe that it's true for you? Like it's true, like all that we just read is true. Yeah, it's true, it's true. But sometimes when things happen to us, sometimes we begin to wonder, I mean, it's true, but I don't know if it's true for me. I'm certainly not experiencing his goodness and grace right now. It doesn't feel like this is true for me. Lots and lots of times we recognize that the Lord is good, but then there are these times where we go, I don't know, is he? Do you believe that God's good toward you? Do you believe that he cares for you. Right here, right now, that he cares for you. Yes, he cares, yes, he's good, but do you believe that he is good to you? And do you believe that he cares for you? And that he is your refuge in the midst of your trouble? Do you believe that? I'm learning to believe all of this. I'm learning to believe that he's good and he's good to me. I'm learning to believe that he cares and he cares for me and that he, there's trouble and there's gonna be trouble, but he is my refuge, I believe. I know that not everyone here believes this all the time. And so I just wanna say this, just make it clear that your questions and your uncertainties are welcome here. I want you to know that. I want you to know that your pain and your suffering is welcome here. Your sadness, your disorientation, your grief, it's welcome here. It's welcome in this church. Around here, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, we believe that the Lord is good and that he is good toward you. That he is our refuge in times of trouble and in times of tribulation and in times of joy and jubilation and he cares and he cares for you. Here are the last couple of verses in the book. 
king of Assyria, your shepherds slumber. Your nobles lie down to rest. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. And all who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. (laughs) For who has not felt your endless cruelty? And that's how it ends. That's how the book of Nahum ends. Really crazy. It ends with this rhetorical question. There's only two books in the Bible that end with a rhetorical question, Nahum being one and Jonah being the other one. Jonah ends with this note of compassion for the Ninevites. Nahum ends with the assurance that God's patience has run out and the destruction of Nineveh was now certain. Just one more time, this idea of God being good to you. I was thinking um, as I close this portion of the message, maybe rhetorically, ask these three questions. How are you experiencing the goodness of God? Like in the here and now, how are you experiencing the goodness of God? Or how are you experiencing his care? What trouble is too big for God? Honesty time. Uh, this will be the last time that I ask you to be, uh, uh, invite you into participation. Anybody here in trouble? Anybody got troubles? Um, yeah, honesty time. <laughs> yeah, I got troubles. I was just thinking about today, uh, this morning, uh, dropped my wife off at the airport at five in the morning. Um, it's trouble. This afternoon, I'm doing a funeral. It's trouble. Uh, conversations here and there, trouble. I've got trouble. I bet you've got troubles. I bet all of us in this room have troubles. If you don't have troubles, then, then that troubles me. I don't think that we as Christians are meant to live this safe and secure life where everything is protected and we never get into any kind of trouble. If you're not in trouble, you're probably not engaging in community. And I just want to say it sensitively, but we are the feet that bring good news. And where do we bring good news? We bring it to places of trouble. So I just want to ask, before you can give something, you have to be able to receive it. How are you experiencing the goodness of God? How are you experiencing his care? What trouble are you in that's too big for God? Paul writes these words to the church in Corinth. Love these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. 
If we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. I'd like to close this message by introducing to you some folks around here who are the feet that bring good news to our church, to our faith family. It's a ministry that we started here when the church started uh, 12 and a half years ago. It's a ministry called Stephen Ministry. Kind of works a little bit under the radar. We'll talk a little bit about why that is here in just a second. But essentially, Stephen Ministry is a ministry that is based on caring for the hurting. It's a ministry that is based on helping come alongside carrying burdens for those who are burdened. A ministry dedicated to ensuring that there's a place or a person who is willing to walk alongside someone who is hurting that comfort may be part of their story. That this person, this Stephen minister could be a refuge. There's lots and lots and lots of ways that God is at work around here. Uh, But this is one way that I want you to know about. And so I'm going to ask a couple guys just to come and help me real quick. Uh, Stephen Fodionis, Ray Hagan, and Scott Luce. Would you welcome these guys up? They're going to come join me here for just a minute. Come on, guys. Thank you. This is Stephen Fodionis, and this is Stephen Ministry. Uh, They go together, but they're they're not like together, if you know what I mean. Like Stephen didn't start this ministry. It just so happens uh, that this ministry is called Stephen Ministry, and Stephen is our leader of this ministry. But I did ask Stephen if he would just share with you briefly kind of the vision and mission of the ministry so that you would just have a good understanding of what this ministry does, what they're for. And uh, I'm going to ask these two guys to jump in here in just a second as well. Will you talk a little bit about that, Stephen? Sure. Nahum 1.7, that's, that's a good segue. Uh, God is our refuge. Is it true for you? You know, if you're not so sure and you need someone to talk through that with, well, that's what we're here for. If you are sure, but you just can't get your head straight because what you're struggling through is too hard to get past, that's what we're here for. Our ministry is here for the long haul for your struggles. This congregation is great at caring for each other, but, you know, we still have our own personal time that we have to deal with our own things. This ministry specifically, we set aside time to make sure that we're there to care for people here. Yeah. Um, It's confidential, and it's one-on-one. It's gender-specific, so no one's going to know it's a safe place, and uh, no problems too big or too small. You might be suffering through grief or loss. You might be through illness or disease, or heck, your kids might be going to college and you're just lonely, but we're here for all that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being here for that. Um, Ray, you were a Stephen minister in a church prior to coming to Sanctuary, and yeah. then you heard a little bit about what we were doing here with Stephen Ministry, and you raised your hand to jump in. Talk a little bit about that. Why did you, why'd you jump in? Well, uh, you know, you're always looking for your spiritual gift, and 
I've never thought of, I've tried just about everything, teaching, not preaching, <laughs> singing, singing the gospel, telling the gospel. But I, I do have a, I think the spiritual gift of helps, which is kind of synonymous with care, isn't yeah. it? Isn't yeah. Something like yeah. that. So I, I can care. I can give care. I can't heal. There's one caregiver or healer, and that's Jesus. But I can listen. I have a gift of, well, I may not have the gift of listening, but <laughs> that's, what we tra- that's what we train for in the Stephen ministry, listen. So I, I can d- give care and a listening ear yeah. and hopefully I'll get somebody from a dark place. Maybe. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for being willing to listen. You, you, you listen well. You listen really well. Of one comment that uh, is important, I want to make sure you catch. Ray said that uh, the Stephen ministry, the Stephen ministers are not the cure giver. They're not the cure givers. They're caregivers to walk alongside to lead you to the cure giver who is Jesus. Of you guys, uh, your wife, Scott, your wife, Ellen, has been around Stephen Ministry for seven or eight years, and you've always cheered her on from the sidelines. But here, this last, these last few months, you decided to jump in and become a Stephen Minister. So talk a little bit about it. Talk a little bit about why you jumped in and what Stephen Ministry means to you and a little bit. I don't, I don't know if I decided to jump in, <laughs> but the Lord chased me. You were compelled. Me. Yeah, the Lord yeah. chased me. Yeah. Um, I've been married to a Stephen minister for 50, well, let me take that back. We've been married for 52 years. Of that 52 years, she has been a Stephen minister. Now I was corrected. It's eight or nine years. Okay. Um, <laughs> during that time, I've seen um, my wife grow closer to the Lord. Uh, in her uh, knowledge and passion to love like Christ. And uh, during her service as a Stephen minister, she's had three care receivers. One of the fundamental uh, ground rules of Stephen ministry is confidentiality. And I can tell you in the eight to nine years, she's had three care receivers I could not pick you out. I, I couldn't tell who you are or what your journey is or what your name is. And in 52 years of being married, it's hard to keep secrets. <laughs> but she has done admirably well, and I respect that. Um, there's a couple of misconceptions about Stephen ministry. One is we're not a counseling ministry. We don't have your answers. If if you need a Stephen minister to get answers, we don't have answers. The Lord has the answers. We're a caring ministry. We will walk alongside of you through the dark challenges of your life. It will be confidential. It will be, as Stephen said, gender specific. I, I might be assigned a male care receiver, and my wife has female care receivers, so that is a boundary that we respect. Um, and, and we're not the answers. We don't have the answers. We pray up to ask questions to see if you can explore your feelings so that you can come to the other side of a dark experience, uh, growing closer to the love and the light of Jesus Christ. And no journey is too small. No journey is too big. Um, no problem is too small. 
And Stephen said, it, it can be your empty nester. Been there, done that. Uh, but I, I, I don't know how to explain the incredible honor it is to, to have gone through the training. And as a side note, Ray and I each signed up for training. This isn't something you just volunteer to do. You have to go to 18 weeks of training. And uh, Ray signed up and I signed up and we didn't know about it until the night before our first training session. And as a side note, what's really cool about that is Ray and I share two great granddaughters together. So um, it is an honor, it is uh, a privilege and it has um, to me, the Lord has revealed to me to better love people by serving them in this capacity. Thank you. Um, uh, no burden is too big. No burden is too small. Uh, one of the things that I've learned in these last few years is a lot of you guys just feel like you don't want to burden someone else with your burden. These guys are here for you to unload that burden and allow someone else to join you in the midst of that burden. I hear that time and time again. I just don't want to be a burden. I just don't want to be a burden. This whole thing is here so you don't have to carry your burden alone. I want to, and, uh, I want to pray over these guys here in just a moment. And I would love uh, if you guys would, would pray over them. Uh, Stephen's going to say a prayer. But as we were going to the airport this morning real early, my wife and I were talking about how she's going to care for her sister uh, for the week. And we were talking about how many of you guys are caring for people. Like you guys are caring for uh, aging adults. Uh, you're caring for younger kids. You're maybe caring for neighbors or you're caring for people in your office or in a classroom. Like a lot of you guys are carrying a lot of weight. And I just thought that maybe we could pray for you. Those of you that are carrying so much weight, those of you that are honored to do it, right? Scott, honored to carry the burdens of others. I just thought maybe that, maybe that we could pray for you um, as, as these guys are doing it formally, uh, you guys are doing it informally, um, but doing it very, very beautifully. So I wanna pray for you. But I, also, but I also just have to ask that if there's anyone here that we could pray for now, that we would be honored to pray for you now. So maybe you're in a place where you're carrying a burden and you just recognize, shoot, I need prayer right now. We'd love to be able to pray right now. So I'm just gonna invite you to stand. Would you all just stand with me? I know some of the Stephen ministers are gonna come and pray with these guys. Stephen ministers, will you come and pray with these guys? I'm gonna ask Stephen if you'll say a prayer. But if there's anyone that uh, is, <laughs> is in need of prayer, and uh, that would be bold enough just to raise your hand and uh, we could just circle up around you. Um, you don't have to say what's going on if you don't want to, but is there anybody that, that needs prayer this morning that we could pray for, we could pray with? Anybody? Will you guys huddle up around there? Joe, will you guys turn around and huddle up around back there? Anybody else need prayer? Nope, nobody. We're, we're, we're in really great shape around here then. You guys got it all together? Well, listen, you can pray. Will you guys, will you guys huddle up right here? Chris, Pat, will you guys come up, huddle up? Todd, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Just praying back there. 
if you don't have anybody else to pray for, you can pray for me and Christy. We have troubles. And pray for our church. Our church, we've got a lot of things going on. So uh, we just want to invite you to, to pray. Stephen, you lead us? Thanks. Yes, sir. Lord, thank you for the hearts of these men. Thank you for the commitment of these men. Thank you for using your Holy Spirit to guide them to this ministry. We pray that you commission these men in your service to care for the people of this congregation. And we pray your love and guidance into everyone here. We support each other. This is a faith family. We love each other. We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We all have seasons of suffering. Lord, you are the source to get us through it. Please just surround each and everyone here with your care. We thank you for each other. We pray for each other. We thank you for everything that you do. In Christ's name I pray, amen.